I'm Abby Strauss, and welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. Aaron Tendler is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County, and the reason that we asked him to join us is because we want to talk about transcranial magnetic stimulation, sometimes known as TMS. The nice thing about talking to Dr. Tendler is is the fact that he is actually using the machine, and so our discussions will be focused on what is it that someone can expect, when is it appropriate to use TMS, and some general questions about the nature of the procedure. Dr. Tendler, thank you very much for being with us. Thanks. I've been using transcranial magnetic stimulation uh, since January of 2009. Okay. It was approved by the FDA in October of 2008, and I've been interested in it since my residency, so that's since 2005, 2006. Okay. You're one of the few people around who actually is using it. I think it's important for people to understand a little bit about what it is, and particularly in reference to the fact that it has sometimes been called a non-invasive form of ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. I don't know if that's a fair comparison or not. Can we make that comparison? Well, there is a comparison. In some, in some way, there is a comparison, and in another way, it's very different. Both of, the, both of those treatment modalities, electroconvulsive therapy and transcranial magnetic stimulation, have at their core using conduction in the brain to result in treatment, meaning electrical conduction and change, instead of using you know, medication to change uh, neurotransmitter levels. But electroconvulsive therapy causes a general seizure in the entire brain. And transcranial magnetic stimulation is a technique in which we use very high, a very high electrical field, a very high electrical current on the outside of the brain to generate a magnetic field on the outside of the brain. So it's like putting large magnets on outside of the brain. The, a large magnet, which is very temporary, mm-hmm. which is turned on and off on the outside of the brain. Now, as you probably remember, things that are not actually uh, conductive don't really have, are not really affected by magnets or magnetic fields. So the skull and the skin really have absolutely the have no are not affected at all by the magnet. So magnetic it's like field. sending a radio wave through a door or a window or something like that? Doesn't do any exactly. It doesn't do anything. But when we put that magnet near the skull, we can actually get the magnetic field to affect the surface of the brain or the actual brain itself because the brain has neurons and the neurons are cells that have a current or that have a change in voltage across their membrane. So let me see if I am, perhaps I am saying this too simplistically, but it's a method of getting an electrical impulse to the brain. And with ECT, you have to actually go through the skull with a, with a, with a charge. But with TMS, you don't have that. That's correct. And with ECT, you have to get a charge into the brain that causes a seizure to occur in the entire brain. Okay. And with TMS, what we do is we get a charge to occur in a very specific area. The area is about the size, you know, somewhere between the size of a dime and the size of a quarter. Is it the same area for all patients? It is the same area for all patients with depression. Okay. For patients with other diseases, we might use other areas, and we can talk about that. Okay. And ultimately, the brain is made up of tracts or, you know, 
basically pathways which conduct. Okay. As we know, a certain area in the surface of the brain corresponds to the big toe or to the tongue or to the thumb, and there's a pathway of nerves that gets from there to, to the thumb. So what we want to do is affect the area in the brain that we consider responsible for depression. And what we're doing is the area in the brain that has decreased conduction when someone is depressed, we're going to increase conduction in that area. That's a very interesting thing. So we're changing some of the electrical activity in, in a very precise area of the brain. This, oh, I have so many questions that come to mind. So how does this differ? I mean, I can see someone listening to us and saying, how does this differ from taking a pill, from taking a Prozac or a Zoloft or whatever? The most dramatic way it differs is that a pill is raising a specific neurotransmitter. Okay. And that specific neurotransmitter is raised everywhere in the entire body where that neurotransmitter can be found. So Prozac, for example, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and it inhibits the serotonin reuptake pump. But it does it throughout the body. It does it throughout the body. It does it in the gut, you know, very well. So you're going to raise serotonin everywhere. And again, we're raising serotonin with the hope of getting some sort of a response, specifically an antidepressant response. Here, we're doing something completely different. We're finding an area in the brain that we know has decreased activity, namely decreased conduction, when someone is depressed, and we're going to increase the conduction there. And that offsets the depression or treats the depression. And that gets the person back to their baseline, non-depressed, euthymic, in medical terms, normal. And this is called non-invasive brain stimulation. Non-invasive brain stimulation, exactly. And what's different about this versus ECT is because we're, we're focusing only on a very specific area, and we're not giving the person a, an entire seizure, which is what electroconvulsive mm -hmm. therapy does, we don't have the side effects that electroconvulsive therapy comes along with. Specifically, uh, after someone has a seizure, they have some confusion or some cognitive memory side effects. And maybe, usually it's very transient, but sometimes it can last for a few days to a few weeks, uh, rarely longer than that. But none of those side effects occur with repetitive or transcranial magnetic stimulation. Okay, I want to get to some of the side effects in a minute. You know, people think that the use of electricity to treat psychiatric disorders is new. It certainly is not. Uh, in preparation for our talking today, I found a very interesting story from the year 46 AD in which they talked about people standing on live black torpedo fish, their electric fish, and they would obviously put a charge through it and it would get rid of headaches. So this, this is just a continuation. Okay, let's talk a little bit specifically now about what happens. When would it be appropriate for a person to consider having TMS? And, and I have to say that officially the FDA has approved it only for major depression. If you read the literature, you see that they're talking about using it in a whole range of other things. But when does a person say it's time to look for TMS? What, what's the clarifying or triggering point? In, in the practical world, people come to get TMS when they've tried several medications and have not had success. That's really, or they've tried several medications and have had side effects. Um, the FDA actually approved it for people that have had an adequate trial of one medication and perhaps some 
intolerance of some other medications, but not an adequate trial. Of adequate trial, meaning they got better or just taking a good enough dose for a long enough period of time? Excellent uh, point. A good enough dose for a long enough time, specifically like taking 20 milligrams of Prozac for at least four to six weeks. That's a good enough dose for a long enough time. Um, and to say that you did not get a response, you know, taking five milligrams of Prozac for two weeks doesn't count. Doesn't count, or or doesn't or, make or it. ten milligrams of Lexapro for four days or seven days doesn't count. You have to take it for enough time to say that you, the, the medication didn't work. But in real life, because TMS is much more expensive than medication, most people will only come for treatment with with TMS once they've actually tried four to six medications, if not more. I've had people who've tried, you know, 18 to 20 medications who come for treatment and people who've had already electroconvulsive therapy. And who've also failed the ECT. Who failed ECT. Okay. When someone comes and says, doctor, I think I need to have TMS, what sort of procedure do they go through? How do you work them up, so to speak? Well, I work them up the exact same way that I would work up any psychiatric patient that comes in, um, get to know you know, what's going on in their lives and what is going on with their depression, how long it's been going on for, uh, find out about their specific symptoms. Interestingly, people do better with TMS the worse they are, meaning if they have more symptoms, they're more likely to do better. Interesting. Than if That's they have very a more mild depression, some positive predictors. Any, any idea why, or is that still a matter of we re- discussion? We, re- we really discovery. don't know why, and I, I can't even speculate on that. And actually... Um, if we're just doing the stimulation on the left side, which is the traditional the way of treating people with depression the, in a very specific way, if we're only doing that kind of stimulation, people who have less anxiety or no anxiety, they do better uh, than people who have anxiety. If we do treatments also on the right side, then they can have anxiety. But some of, those are some of the positive predictors. But the only requirement or the only exclusion criteria for someone um, who's coming in for TMS is that they can't have something that conducts electricity. Metal. Well, titanium would be okay because that doesn't conduct. It has to be conducting like a staple, like a staple on a blood vessel that's that's not titanium. Or if somebody had had the... Uh, well, VNS. a vagal nerve stimulator is not is not is okay if it's if it's put down well. The, you know, if it's tied well, then it's that's perfectly fine. And what we do then is we make sure that it's off during the treatments. And I've done it already on two patients that have had vagal nerve stimulators. And a pacemaker is a pacemaker is far enough, far enough away, far enough away. The it can't be in the skull or very close to the skull. I, I think just to make it very specific. The coil or the magnet looks like a clamshell, a large clamshell that, that is basically the size of your palm. And the, the peak or the highest uh, area where the magnetic field is basically one and a half to one inch away from that you know, corner. So it's of very the clam. focused. It's very so it's very focused, and that's why it's really not a big concern for areas like uh, where for areas, you know, farther away. It won't ruin the person's phone and it won't ruin the person's uh, other other electronic items that the person has on. Let's talk then about the specifics. I, I read that each session is roughly 37 or 40 minutes long. It takes that long. Is that a correct reading or does it vary? It varies. Well, the way TMS is done is uh, we need to basically, like like I was mentioning earlier, what we're trying to do is we're trying to cause conduction 
and every person requires a different amount of a different amount of uh, magnetic field strength or like a dose. electricity, like a dose or dose, to cause conduction. Okay, and in order to get that amount of electricity, in order to cause the magnetic field, the the machine has to be able to tolerate the heat that's produced. So. In some people, they may need to take 15 minutes. and some people, the treatment may only take 17 minutes if they only need a very low dose. The way we measure the dose is on the first time, we see how much, how much power is necessary to actually move their thumb, which we call the motor threshold. And that we do in their first session. And that sets their dose, so to speak? That's, that's, that sets their dose, yeah. Okay. Is there any pain at all from doing this? There is discomfort at the site, so and uh, so, and that that's the only side effect that transcranial magnetic stimulation has is discomfort in the area of the stimulation. It's basically uh, you sit in a room, and we have a nice uh, TV set up to make it distracting, but or Apple TV, you know, with uh, iTunes, so people can watch what they want. But in reality, there's this clicking that goes on as the machine turns on and off, on and off, on and off anywhere between 10 and 20 times a second. As that's going on, the person feels as if someone's sort of tapping on their head. And the first time, people almost always feel uncomfortable. And after that time, people almost always feel perfectly fine. So it's not an issue, really. In the long run, it's not an issue. There is never pain after the person leaves. I've never had anyone complain of pain like two hours later or the next day. or. So they could come to your office, have the treatment, get up, go home, do whatever they had to do. They can drive themselves. There's no need for nothing. It's, no, no, it's really the, the treatment with the least side effect. How many treatments, if there is a standard, how many treatments does it take in order to achieve some sort of uh, release of relief of the um, depression? That is an area which, which doesn't have a, a straightforward answer, but uh, let me just, I can tell you how many treatments most people need in general so most people need around, including their taper, meaning the time it takes them to stop the treatment, Some most people need around 30 to 35 treatments. So that would be 35 visits 30 to, to 35 an office. visits to the office. It can be less if the person is staying on a medication. So they can take an antidepressant yes, while they're on there, TMS? there have been, you know, an abundance, over 12 controlled studies showing how transcranial magnetic stimulation is used as an adjunct or an add-on to medication. And in that case, I've had people who only need sometimes seven treatments and sometimes more, but it's rarely ever more than 20. And how often is it every day, once a week? It's five times a week. It can be done more more than five times. It It can be done seven days a week, but it can't be done twice a day. If we do it twice a day, it can actually induce mania, just like medications can induce mania. Uh, you can't skip it. You can't skip it for four days in the first twenty sessions. So you have to plan to be around for four weeks. How long does it last? You know, the notion has always been, and it's, I know it's a, a subject of tremendous variance and discussion. But after ECT, people sometimes have to go into maintenance ECT, or they need to have it once a year or every couple of years. Is it's relatively new, and I, I understand that, but do we have any data? Is it, I would love to use the word permanent. Is it permanent, or does it relapse as well as, like, medicines okay, and so everything else? Let me, 
answer that, but I'll give you first a general answer and let me give you a more specific answer. So the general answer is that the effects last anywhere from six months to two years, and then the person needs anywhere from another two to ten treatments to regain their uh, response or remission, to, re to go back into remission. The amount of treatments is the issue that I was hesitating on. The reason I was hesitating on it is because the way I treat patients and the way it is based on the way the data has panned out is that I treat patients until they plateau, until they stop having an improvement. And that's because in the actual clinical trials, they've shown people to continue improving over the course of actually ongoing 12 weeks of treatment. So meaning even though the initial approval, approval study was for six weeks, okay, actually four weeks and then two weeks of a taper, people actually continued to improve than in an open-label study when they continued them for 12 weeks. So say, for example, 40% of people got better in, say, say, six weeks, well, then a significantly higher percentage of them got better if we let them go on to 12 weeks. And I think the same thing occurs when you want to say how long the treatment will last for. If you don't do a taper, and I found this in my practice, well, if you don't do a taper, if you don't say after you're doing the treatments every day, then cut down to four times a week, three times a week, twice a week, once a week, then people will have a much higher likelihood of relapsing unless you put them on a medication. And it could even be a medication that they've tried before but have failed. Similar to ECT, people then subsequently become sensitive to a medication that they were no longer sensitive to. But if you do do a taper then people go into a much more sustained remission. This is all very interesting and obviously very important for people to understand because it is a new treatment modality and it appears to be a very effective treatment modality, and I'm so glad we have it as part of our options to give folks. I do remind people who, who are listening to this that if you, they go on the Internet and they read about it, because I know people do that, be careful about what you read. Read several of the reports. Just don't read one website and assume that it's accurate. And, of course, the best thing to do is if you have any questions, bring all that data to your doctor and then discuss it on an individual basis. I thank you very much for joining us. I think we could probably discuss this for a very long period of time. It's obviously very fascinating and full of all sorts of new areas in which to go. Dr. Aaron Tendler is a psychiatrist in Palm Beach County. He is actually using TMS, and so his insights and reports to us are doubly valid. We thank you very much for joining us and hope to have you back sometime when we can talk about it from the more technical point of view, the more absolute theoretical point of view. Thank you very much, sir. No problem.